Tennessee just sounds perfect. Whether that's live music, the crack of a campfire, or kids laughing on an adventure. To start planning your trip, visit tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. What's up? This your boy Lil Duval. And check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Ridiculous History is a production of iHeartRadio. Welcome back to the show, Ridiculous Historians. Thank you, as always, so much for tuning in. Who's that running toward the finish line? Why, it's our super producer, Mr. Max Williams. What, what? Da, 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 da. <laughs> there he goes. He's like a blur. He's like a flash, like a rocket. And I'm painting the whole thing as I go. <laughs> real, real... Uh, gold medal material. I almost said Cold War material, but that's a different episode. Uh, I'm Indeed. Ben, <laughs> you're Noel, and yes. uh, today, man, we're going to talk about the Olympics with some help from our research associate, Jeff, but not in a way that most people might think. Now, you might have seen the uh, the title of this episode, Olympic Visual Arts, and you might have pictured various Olympic uh, mascots or branding, you know, the rings or uh, what is his name? Izzy, the Izzy. little guy for the Atlanta Olympics is now yeah. quite a collectible little fella. He kind of looks like a like a teardrop or something. It looks like he should be a, a, a mascot for like a water company or something, you know? Yeah, I could go with water company, maybe also an electric company, because sometimes blue is electricity in, mas- in the land of mascots. You know, it's it's funny because back uh, not too long ago, we did an episode about former Olympic sports, Olympic sports of yesteryear. And it might surprise some of our fellow ridiculous historians to know that art used to be in the Olympics. That's right, folks. A-R-T, art, not Art Garfunkel. We're not going to plot twist you that way. No, we're not talking about Paul Simon either, nor are we talking about Olympic uh, mascot art. We are talking about art as a sport, sort of, kind of, per se. Yeah, yeah. This comes to us in large part thanks to the work of Richard Stanton, the author of a book called The Forgotten Olympic Art Competitions. Richard says, I first found out about it reading a history book when I came across a little comment about Olympic art competitions, and I said, what competitions? This 
sparked his curiosity, it piqued his interest. And so he wrote the first, and as far as we know, only English language book on the subject of Olympic art competitions. Right. Some of the research we uh, we dug through for this had Stanton digging, uh, doing some digging himself through boxes of records uh, in the International Olympic Committee archives in Switzerland. And as everyone knows, the Swiss have very poor penmanship. It's a hallmark of, of the country. Uh, no, maybe that's not entirely true, but apparently some of these were kind of hard to read and did require a little bit of detective work and sort of piecing together the forgotten history of Olympic art competitions. Yeah, and this all goes back to an aristocrat, Baron de Coubertin. Uh, This guy was the founder of the International Olympic Committee and the modern Olympic Games as we know them today. And if you ask the Baron, he would say, look, one of the big important pieces of the Olympics, in my vision, is an art competition because he was consumed with this idea, this vision of what defined a true Olympian. And to him, a true Olympian was not just someone who could lift heavy weights or run very quickly or swim like a fish. No, they also were skilled in the classics, in music and literature. He thought the Olympics would be incomplete if they did not have some aspect of the arts. Yeah, because we kind of forget sometimes that uh, the Olympics in their original incarnation were meant to be a, a celebration of of the muse, you know, of all things creative, you know, dating back to ancient Greece, arts, uh, sports were kind of considered another art form in and of itself, celebrating the artistic uh, expression of the human body itself. Yeah, yeah. And I see a flex in there, Max. That's that's nice. Uh, I didn't know you were bringing guns to the show, but... <laughs> artistic. Never, don't, bring, artistic. don't bring a knife to the gun show. You always got to bring guns. Right. Or uh, the fantastic restaurant here in Atlanta, Gun Show. The chefs have their own knives. You don't need it's to true. bring them. Yeah, that was an awkward moment for me, but uh, still a great night. So the... Guy, the Baron, right? He says, I'm not making this up out of whole cloth. I'm not coming from a vacuum here. This is something that calls back to the ancient days of the Olympics, as you mentioned, Noel. And I want there to be this strong connection between the athletes, the artists, and the spectators. So let's have art be part of the competitions. Uh, He said, uh, I mean, he talks about regaining the glory of the Olympics, right? Becoming, bringing it back to life, back to reality. And he sees the fine arts combining harmoniously with the games. This came up at the Olympic Congress in 1906, but they said, you know, we don't have enough time, this iteration. The Olympic Congress of 1906 was planning the 1908 games in London. And they said, look, Baron, we got your back, but we might have to kick the can down the road a bit here. And kick the can they did down the road uh, a handful of years to the 1912 Olympic Games in Stockholm, Sweden. And, you know, as is the case, I think aren't uh, X Games type sports now incorporated into the Olympics? There's I know that there are there are always shakeups that get proposed 
And sometimes these sports or changes to existing sports are more welcome than others. Like I, I think we were, we were talking off air with Max confirming that skateboarding is one, but not all X Games, right? Yeah, it's like some, I, I can't remember off the top of my head, but I think they just added in park but for a while they didn't have half pipe even though they had half pipe snowboarding in the winter olympics i mean my personal favorite sport baseball just got added back in with the most previous olympics after being out for like two decades it's in constant flux what sports are in what are not like obviously like track and field is in like guys running fast and people swimming far those are always in but they change around a lot yeah and such was the case with uh, figuring out how to introduce art into the Olympic Games. So they kind of whittled it down to five categories, uh, which were architecture, music, painting, uh, literature, and sculpture. And then, of course, they were later subdivided even further into things like drama for literature and um, epic, which I guess would be like poetry, epic poetry, or lyric literature. I imagine that is sort of song. Yeah, or spoken word. There were... Mm -hmm. um I saw the there was an Olympic an Olympic event held in Canada and one of the opening ceremonies a few years ago was this just tremendously well done spoken word poem. And I know spoken word gets a bad rap and folks, yes, I'm the first to say that 80% of it might be a swing and a miss for a lot of people, but that other 20% is life-changing level good. And this this is a remnant of that idea, that attachment to the arts. They also started dividing music into orchestral and instrumental, solo and chorus singing, uh, or chorale. And uh, they also started looking into ways to separate visual arts, paintings from graphic arts, uh, drawings from paintings. This one surprised me for sculpture they didn't just say statues are different from reliefs. They also said, let's count medallions. Why not? Maybe that's maybe you just made the best medallion. Conflict of interest, though, right? Perhaps. What happens when a competitor makes a gold medal as their submission? <laughs> that's very meta. And it's funny because, I mean, you could probably start to see where this becomes difficult to judge. I mean, in competitions, you know, exclusively for the arts, singing, music, uh, literature, etc., it's not really a point system, you know? I mean, it's very subjective. So whereas sports, you know, are measured uh, in measurable things like yards, ran or, or or time, you know, achieved, you know, for a certain length or points scored in a particular game that has like a, a standardized uh, scoring system. That's not the case with, with painting, unless you're just doing speed painting. <laughs> it's like who finishes first or whatever. Right. Uh, it is much more of a subjective taste-based kind of judging. Yeah, yeah. And that's why in certain circumstances, competitors might not even get a medal if the judges looked around and they were unable to come to a consensus on their subjective opinions about a work of art, they might only award a bronze medal. And, and that's, you know, that's very distinct from the mm -hmm. way the rest of the Olympic events would go. Yeah, as the kids say, they might be, well, these, these were all pretty mid, so we'll, we'll just give out a bronze. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but good hustle, everybody. And nice medallion. Also, your plaque is good. I just can't choose. Bronze medals for all. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. 
There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash iHeart. That's LifeLock.com slash iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. Big screen. I want to be remembered for just being me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. There were 33 people who participated in the very first Olympic art competition for the modern Olympics in 1912. And during the 1912 competition, there was a gold medal awarded in all of the five categories. We're getting this research directly from the Olympic Committee, yes. uh, yeah. Olympics.com. So they do quite a good job of, uh, of, you know, laying out all of the history of this very unusual period in the Olympic Games. Yeah, shout out to the author of that, Indira Shestakova. So if you look at their history here, you'll see that there were some rules for submissions. And if you've ever been in a, um, a writing competition or you've ever submitted to a journal or something like that, then you'll recognize some of this. You might also run into it in some gallery competitions. Judges could only score works that had never been exhibited anywhere else. Mm-hmm. And they ha- makes sense. also had to be dedicated to sports. So there's a theme to it. Uh, the Baron himself, yeah, by the way, he he participated in a literature competition under a pseudonym, and his piece won a gold medal. Corruption? Mm, we don't maybe. know. Maybe. That's we a little know. suspicious. Did you say the name of his no, piece? No, no, no. I love right. it. It's uh, Ode to Sport. <laughs> <laughs> Which, again, like, I don't want to judge it just by the title. I haven't read it yet. Maybe it's amazing, but Ode to Sport. Sounds a little on the nose for the gold medal. I'd love to see who else entered the literature competition. 
Correct. So, uh, fun fact from the 1912 games, um, the United States entry, Walter Winnens won the uh, Winnens won uh, an Olympic gold medal in shooting four years prior. But then later, I guess he had like a little side hustle as a sculptor. He became the Olympic uh, gold medalist in that category, in sculpture. Uh, in Sweden, he'd also won an Olympic medal in shooting uh, that same games. Yeah, and then there is uh, one other guy who won medals in art and sports, and that is Alfred Hajos from Hungary. Two gold medals in Athens in 1896, and a few years later, won the silver medal in architecture. Look, we know that most people hearing this today do not associate the athletic feats of the Olympics with the aesthetic feats of the art world. And back in Antwerp in the 1920s, the situation was kind of similar. The art competition didn't get a lot of press, didn't get a lot of attention, it didn't draw a ton of crowds. But this changed just a few years later when the Olympics went to Paris in 1924. Well, it's also, I mean, it's not, no, no, no shade on, on art or whatever, but it's not exactly the most captivating thing to exhibit in terms of a spectator, um, you know, sport. Like, these are obviously things that are presented and then uh, displayed in some sort of gallery type situation, at least in terms of the visual arts. I don't know that we have any information about how, were the, were the poems and the, the literature pieces read aloud by the writers? <laughs> like, uh, yes, how, while fighting. Oh, no. Yeah, while sword fighting. Okay, on top uh, 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 galloping steeds. I yes, imagine. yes. Uh, and <laughs> and uh, the pages they were reading would be lit on fire. Uh, no, we're just making up a really interesting competition. But this reminds me, I want to shout out one of our uh, one of our friends on our Facebook page, Ridiculous Historians, Robin W. Hipped us to a real sport called chess boxing. You alternate rounds of rapid chess and rounds of boxing until someone wins in one of those categories. Ooh, I, that's so funny. I never knew that there's a Wu-Tang Clan song called The the Mystery of Chess Boxing. And um, I never knew what that was referring to until now. They don't actually say that in the in the in the lyrics at all. But that is the name of, of one of my favorite tracks off of the uh, 36 Chambers record. Nice. Yeah. And we don't know if they're talking about, I, I think they're talking about applying a martial arts mentality to chess. I don't think they're talking about alternating rounds, but maybe they are connected. You know, maybe secretly some members of the Wu-Tang Clan are world-class chess boxers. If so, we'd love to see a clip. Of course, uh, it's it's named after a kung fu film, uh, <laughs> Hong Kong uh, film from 1979, directed by Joseph Kuo, called "The Mystery of Chess Boxing." You know that the Wu Tang Clan loved some uh, some kung fu pictures. Of course, who doesn't? I love kung fu movies as well. You know, I'd say I love kung fu movies as much as uh, the attendants of the 1924 Olympics in Paris loved the art competition. Almost. 200 people submitted works of art, including three Soviet artists. And this was interesting because at the time, the Soviet Union was not participating in the Olympics. There was some geopolitical tension. The jury 
right? The judges for the art competition in the Paris games was also um, pretty creme de la creme. They were pretty posh. Uh, the first woman to receive the Nobel Prize in literature was there. That's Sweden's Selma Lagerlöf. And then a famous Russian composer, the one and only Igor Stravinsky. Oh, yeah. His uh, Rites of Spring, uh, an episode unto itself in terms of the premiere of that piece that I believe caused some manner of riot because the music was just so stark and intense and in your face and, you know, for lack of a better term, at the time, modern. You know, it just wasn't, the classical music was very formal and then meant to kind of stick to the the hits and sort of the forms of uh, of classical composers in, in history. And Stravinsky, with this kind of atonal, clashy, kind of very, you know, Sturm und Drang kind of uh, vibes, really turned that whole thing on his head. So very interesting to see. I don't, I'm not, this must have been after he, of course, this would have been after he was already established and kind of, you know, got his bona fides and was no longer like this iconoclastic figure. Yeah, they, they weren't uh, putting him as a member of a jury and then saying, in a few years, this guy is going to be no. a big deal. No, he had his stripes. <laughs> yeah, uh, this, this also, we see the art competition continuing to be popular in the 1928 games, which were in the beautiful city of Amsterdam, there were more than 1,000 pieces of art exhibited in the municipal museum, something like 1,100. And one of the participants there was Francis Paul Landowski. He won the Olympic gold medal for a sculpture of a boxer. He would later go on to create the famous, the world-famous Christ the Redeemer statue in Rio de Janeiro, which I have not seen in person, but I definitely want to see. You know, it's on my bucket list. And the good news is it's so big that it's pretty easy to see. I can just kind of get to Rio and look up. Exactly. So here's the question. What happened to, to this? You know, I mean, it's not lost, obviously, uh, because the Olympic Committee themselves are, are writing about it. But this is certainly not something that your average Olympic fan would know much about. So what happened? Like, where, where did it go? Why did it fall out of favor? World War Two, as ah, happened with yeah, so, yeah, so many great things of that time. You know, as you know, folks, the Olympics were put on hold in 1940 and 1944 because there was a world war. Nearly all of the countries that would ordinarily participate in the Olympics were now participating in war. And when they came back after the close of the war, the art competitions had another problem. New management, the new president of the International Olympic Committee, Avery Brundage, was obsessed with amateurism. He was a rigid supporter of amateur athletics, and he wanted Olympic, the Olympics to be pure. He thought they were swayed by the weight of money, which is you know, an, a valid claim, but here's why it, it spelled trouble for the art competition. So he likes amateurs. He hates money and nepotism, even though being president of the IOC is kind of a nepotistic position. Uh, he says, look, artists have to sell their work to make a living, and winning an Olympic medal could theoretically be a big advertisement for that artist's work. So 
you know what it reminds me of? It's like when people win the Great British Baking Show or the Great British Bake Off. There's not a cash prize. You know, they win like a bespoke crystal kind of cake platform. But honestly, the real prize is just the uh, accolades that comes along with it. And most of the people that end in the top three get some kind of, maybe even the top 10 or just by participating in the show, they get a boost to their baking career and probably get enough clout that they can open a a successful bakery or, you know, put out a cookbook or something like that. Yeah. Now I want to finish with the Brunage point because he's got, he's got a couple, couple pros and cons here. So he says back in this post-World War II environment that if someone wins a medal for artistic expression, then they're probably going to make bank off of it later down the line. He thinks it's an unwelcome commodification of the Olympics. But keep in mind that nowadays, it's not uncommon for Olympic athletes to get huge merchandise deals. You know what I mean? So that mm-hmm. also, that that's the that is very similar to the problem he said he had with art competitions in the Olympics. Further, here's the big con about it, He was a former Olympic artist. He entered a piece of literature in the 1932 games. He didn't get a medal. He got an honorable mention. And then later in the 1948 games, he tried to shut down the whole art competition. Wow. A little bitter, maybe? Yeah, it seems so. Honorable mention. That's... (laughs) I mean, that's, that is enough to, to make someone have some sour grapes. That's like worse than the bronze. It's like, I, I've always found that honorable mention is, is such a borderline uh, backhanded compliment of a category, you know? I think so. I mean, it's better than dishonorable mention, which I actually I think it's did better get. than not being mentioned at all, perhaps. But, I got a dishonorable yeah. mention in, um, in an art, uh, an essay competition once, and I had no regrets because I disagreed with the premise of the competition. Do you remember the Invent America program? Mm-mm. It was no. a thing that was popular when I was a kid. I think it was like one of those presidential, you know, like the presidential fitness challenge or whatever. It was some kind of program for schools and it was called Invent America. And, you know, kids would would make inventions and, um, you know, you'd go on to semifinals and all of that stuff. And I think maybe ultimately you'd get some kind of patent. I can't remember what the ultimate goal was, but I got an honorable mention one year in the Invent America competition. I, quote unquote, invented something I called the Bright Night Toilet Light. And it was a little clicky switch that would go on the bottom of the toilet seat. So when you put it down, it would turn on a light so that you wouldn't fall into the toilet. Um, Those uh, are a thing now. Well, yeah, I I guess I was ahead of my time, but uh, I only thought that was worthy of an honorable mention, so. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm still very proud of my dishonorable mention because that is malicious compliance at peak. Uh, So. So, uh, and no bad blood, of course. Yeah, I used to, I used to do those. I miss those competitions. I used to do those kind of things all the time. We can do one ourselves. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We all award ourselves prizes, or are we going to be be like the... yeah, go ahead. Because the three of us, um, and then I don't know, we get like I don't know other people involved. I I, I feel like we get a Vogelbaum and a Reese involved. Let's uh, get everybody from uh, ridiculous news, ridiculous crime, uh, ridiculous romance. Let's get them in the competition, and let's decide ourselves. Just just the three of us, and you listening along, folks. Let's decide to not give anyone a medal. Let's have everyone compete. And then let's do them like the art competi- uh, the art jury did back then. 
all bronzes except for Strickland, who gets a dishonorable mention. <laughs> a dishonorable yeah. mention. And, 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 a, and a dishonorable discharge. And uh, we will make it exclusively in the spoken word category. Yeah, <laughs> Why not? I, I, will, I will die on this hill. Okay. Gentlemen. All right. And that's the title of your, of your piece, right? I will die on this hill. I will. Yes, indeed. It's true. So th this, this fellow, you know, that uh, kind of threw a, a wrench in the works, he essentially led to uh, a serious discussion about the merits of the art competition and whether or not they should be, you know, removed from the games. Yeah, eventually his position won the day and it was decided that art competitions would be scrapped completely and they would be replaced by an exhibition, a non-competitive exhibition. And this eventually became known as the Cultural Olympiad. And so there are no more winners of Olympic medals in the field of the arts for now. Because as we said, the Olympics seem to always be undergoing some sort of evolution. One of the last medals awarded was a silver medal in 1948 to John Copley, a British guy, for his engraving Polo players. You can see there's a there's kind of a trend on simple titles here. You know what I mean? Yes. Ode to sport. Polo, Polo players. players. The shot puttist. The javelin thrower. This is cool because uh, he was. 73 years old when he got this, this would have made him the oldest medal winner in all of Olympic history. But his now, victory, that's interesting. Yeah, but his victory didn't count. Well, okay. Th that, that being said, it does occur to me, though, that by including the arts in this way, you are significantly broadening the range of ages that could, you know, successfully compete in the quote-unquote Olympics. 100%, yeah. Very young people could theoretically win, as could quite elderly people. But this is such a bummer to me. The 151 medals that had been awarded were retroactively stricken from the record. So they don't, and this is important because it doesn't count for a country's total number of medals overall, which is a bummer. We learned about this thanks to Joseph Stromberg over at the Smithsonian, big fans of the Smithsonian. So this competition goes to the wayside in 1949 because the IOC says, all right, all these art contestants are professional artists. So this doesn't reflect what we see as the amateur status of the Olympics. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. The big screen. I want to be remembered. 
for just being me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Noel, do you remember your favorite car? Well, yeah, um, it was a uh, an Eddie Bauer edition Ford Explorer. Oh, that's and cool. I, yeah, I, I just remember it was my dad's. I, I was a hand me down car kind of kid. Dad would buy a new car. I'd get that car. And I just remember feeling so awesome being up above everybody like I was mm. in Mad Max or something. You know, I had a lot of uh, land yachts that I loved. I had Pontiac, yeah. Bonnevilles. Right. Oh, I never had an El Camino. My dad had one. And that was a, that was a real interesting use of our collective time, keeping that thing running. But I think these cars all kind of speak to us because they were such a fundamental part of our lives. Do you remember when I had that Monte Carlo? That's what I meant. I, meant, I said El Camino <laughs> and I met Monte Carlo. I miss it. So uh, the Monte Carlo was tough. I had a series of Monte Carlos and the last one, God bless it. I just, I, I had to learn a lot about car maintenance just to keep that guy running, but it it still was like a, a perfect fit. It's almost like finding your true love. Uh, You know, like when you recently got a car a few years back now, Oh, man. And funny you should say that. That particular perfect fit was the Honda Fit, which I love dearly. But, Ben, it's getting a little long in the tooth. And while it's been incredibly reliable up to now, it's getting to that age where I might have to start looking for some parts here and there to keep it running. Mm -hmm. And that's where eBay Motors comes in. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. So keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. And that's something, again, in the modern day, I think most people would disagree with, right? Like the, you can, I guess you could say a figure skater is an amateur, maybe, but these folks spend all their lives working to perform, to compete at the Olympics. And if it's the focus of your life, I feel like it's kind of difficult to call that person an amateur. I feel like it diminishes the work they're putting in. What do you guys think about that? Well, I could see them not counting toward the metal count because it is such a different category. I mean, it really is. It doesn't really reflect the athletic, competitive prowess of a country. It seems to sort of not stack the deck necessarily, but skew the numbers a little bit, you know? So I definitely, I feel that. But, you know, I mean, I, I think artists who won them should still be able to say Olympic award, Olympic medal winning artist, you know? Yeah. And art is also, you know, to our point about subjectivity, this art competition didn't have the same quantitative metrics you could lean on, right? If you're measuring 400 yard dash or something, you can say, hey, this person finished first. And we know that because we looked at the time. You can't say, this person finished fifth, but we're giving them the gold medal because there's just something beautiful about the way they run. They're like a gazelle, and aesthetically, they're the winner. That doesn't happen in the world of sports. And yeah, to your point, like I can see how it wouldn't count for the medals for that reason, but I don't think you should strike them from the record, remove them from history. Also, 
look, we started trying to look for some pieces, some examples of these uh, works of art. And we found that a lot of the Olympic medal winning works have been lost to history. You can see the architectural projects. They were getting medals for things like best town planning, basically. So it's tougher to get rid of some of that stuff than it is to, say, lose a plaque or an engraving. Uh, and, or a medallion. Or a medallion. Or a medallion. God, do you, you know what? I bet somebody has lost their Olympic medal. I bet somebody won it and then lost it, right? A lot of people probably have. Yeah, like a championship ring. But uh, maybe it's like yeah. in, in some pawn shop somewhere, mm-hmm. you know, just floating around. Who knows? Maybe some Olympian fell on hard times, uh, yeah. you know, especially. Well, but I mean, you you're, to- you're, you're, an, you're an amateur, so it's not like you can pay any money to do this. That's a good point. It is all about the the actual, you know, artifact, the Olympic medal itself, which obviously carries some value or, or some some weight in terms of monetary, you know, uh, exchange, right? But I could see someone perhaps, uh, you know, hawking their Olympic medal uh, because things didn't work out. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, you know, O.J. Simpson got in hot water when he had to get some of his trophies back, right? Some of his accolades. Uh, and this this could happen with artists in this environment as well. We know you can still see some of these architectural projects. Uh, the Olympic Stadium in Amsterdam, designed by an architect named Jan Wiles. Uh, he got the Olympic gold in 1928. The Payne Whitney Gymnasium at Yale was designed by John Russell Pope. He got the silver in 1932. Now he's best known for the Jefferson Memorial. And then there's also Richard Convires, uh, who got the bronze at the 1932 Olympics for the Olympic Stadium. So we see multiple people got an Olympic medal in architecture for designing the Olympic Stadium. I think that's your path to victory. Yeah, it would, it would, it would definitely seem so. So fast forward just a little bit to the 1948 games in London, which um, boasted the last, the very last of the Olympic art medals. Finland seemed to uh, lead the charge here with two gold medals, one silver and one bronze. And then, as we already said, it it went the way of non-competitive you know, games adjacent exhibitions. Um, And that's still the case today. Yeah, yeah, still. Now, there are art competitions in some form associated with the Olympics. Starting in 2004 and going forward, the IOC has routinely held what they call a sport and art contest leading up to the summer games. For example, for the 2012 contest, People sent in sculptures and graphic works on the following theme. Sport and the Olympic values of excellence, friendship, and respect. They don't get medals, but they do get cash prizes. And if you are a crowd favorite or a judge's favorite, then your work gets displayed in London during the games. So it's something. Nice. Yeah. Again, it just contributes to raising the profile of an artist and leading to perhaps more monetary success down the road because they become a little bit more of a hot commodity. But I would argue maybe it's sort of the equivalent of winning one of those like postage stamp illustration contests, oh, you know, cool. I like which are, which are cool, but is it making superstar artists? You know, I, I would argue maybe no. 
Uh, yeah, you know, and we'd have to be more connected, I think, to the international art world to understand, you know, who is the Basquiat here, who is the Warhol, and so on. But uh, we do know a little bit more. We found some extra effects. Our, our buddy Jeff found some things that he just really wanted us to mention. First, the Olympic game art competitions had a street name, Pentathlon of the Muses. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, that's fun. I like that because, that, you know, full circle, uh, the Olympics in their original incarnation and as they were originally intended were a celebration of the gods and, uh, you know, the muses are an important part of that pantheon. Yeah. And then there's, there's another one here. Uh, the 1936 Games is a story the Jedi won't tell you. The government of Germany said they should add a film contest to the pentathlon. And already by 36, you could tell that Europe kind of had a bad vibe about German uh, film and propaganda. So they said, no, no, sorry, guys, that's a bridge too far. And that's not a ding on all the awesome German films of the early 1900s. I'm just wondering if they were like, mm, I don't know, you guys have a weird vibe. I, I feel like you're going to release some strange films not too long from now, so we'll skip it. That's just me speculating, you know. But Noel, could they, okay, if they couldn't get medals, but they could get cash prizes, what did they do with the art when they were done? Well, they were allowed to sell their works. They weren't auctioned in the exhibition. This wasn't like a, a bidding situation, but they were allowed to then remove their pieces from the exhibit and sell them independently. Nice, yeah, at least for a time. And this was kind of controversial. The most successful Olympic artist was a painter from Luxembourg, Jean Jacobi. And he got two gold medals uh, over the course of his career as an Olympic artist. You could also, this is an interesting thing I didn't know, you could also submit works of art in multiple iterations. Not just like, it, I, I'm not saying you could submit a piece of music and then also submit an engraving. I'm saying you could submit several works of art to the same category. So it's Ooh. theoretically possible to do a full sweep. The gold medal goes to max. The bronze medal goes to max. After intense debate, the silver medal goes to max. You know what I mean? Uh, that's killing the game. That seems oh, weird. Oh, yeah, right? y'all. <laughs> and, and all of his things are called the sport of run which is very in line with those titles. I don't know. Like nowadays, I still love all the artistic expression associated with especially the opening events for the Olympics, like the 2008 Olympics in China. Man, chef kiss. That was amazing, right? And I hope that that stuff continues in the future. And I hope maybe we can lend some podcasts to the Olympics. And, you know, I mean, even people that aren't necessarily into the sporting aspect of the Olympics typically tune in for the opening ceremonies because mm -hmm. there's such a, you know, combination of art and music and science. Remember the cloud seeding thing oh, yeah. uh, that, you know, so that really is to me a perfect kind of middle ground where it really is still highlighting and, uh, you know, glorifying the arts. But again, it's more of a presentation. It's more of a theatrical display rather than something that, that needs to be judged. Well, I, I do want to kind of throw this out there, guys, because there is still some artistic competitions in the Olympics. I mean, they are athletic 
artistic. Are you talking about curling, Max? No, no, no. Curling oh. is not. Curling has a score-based thing. But Figure uh, skating. Yeah, so we got figure yeah. skating. Uh-huh. We got ice dancing as well. Sure. In the Olympics. But I got a couple Summer Olympics ones for us. We have equestrian, horse dancing. Okay. Oh, well, great. That's dr- dressage is a right. sub. Right. Dainty stepping. Yes. Yeah. Uh, we got artistic swimming. Uh-huh. Is that like synchronized? Yeah, it's not called synchronized any longer. It's called now artistic, I believe. Uh, there's rhythmat- rhythmatic gymnastics. Oh, is- yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that makes sense. And here's the one I had forgotten about. There is now one called breaking. Like breakdancing? Yes, it is nice. breakdancing. What? Electric Amazing. Boogaloo. Holy nice. cow. You, you, it's funny that you mentioned these, Max. I'm, I'm glad you did because these are also somewhat subjective in that the, the the panel of judges hold up like a number, you know? Yeah. Uh, that is a there's, a, there's a scale, you know, I guess one to 10 or whatever. But I think also you get extra points, you know, for, you have to, you, you want to land a certain number of these tricks. Right. You know, and that really affects your score. I mean, the, the beauty of it all and the music and the the costumes and all, I guess, you know, contribute to that a little bit. But I mean, you're more likely to win if you land a bunch of like, you know, triple axles or whatever these like really hard to pull off tricks are. Yeah. And then also, I mean, maybe, maybe it's better to say that the arts competitions were not kinesthetic in nature. So even these subjective uh, performances or these subjective physical competitions are kinesthetic. They are people moving their bodies in space. Uh, and this or yeah, horse, people moving their horse or, or a horse. Yeah. Or a really precise horse who I think is probably traumatized. I'm just going to be honest because uh, that's not how horses normally walk. It's funny you bring up dressage because that became a running joke in a stuff they don't want you to know show we recorded recently. I don't know why. What about like 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 the what is it the hobbies of failed dictators? Or yeah, something? Or no? <laughs> there it is. Something yeah, like that. Something yeah, like that. It was yeah. along those lines. Well, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I I know when Romney was running for president back in 2012, the Daily Show caught on the fact that he had a dressage horse, and they had a lot of fun with that. Yeah. Oh, the Daily Show, and shout out to John Stewart, man. You know. uh, I, that guy, that guy deserves a Nobel Prize of some sort. And we hope that you enjoyed this episode, folks. Now, this is something we asked at the end of another Olympics episode. What are some sports you think should be included in the Olympics that have yet to be included? What are some sports you believe should come back? We can't wait to hear your thoughts. Find us on that Facebook page we mentioned, Ridiculous Historians. Thanks, as always, to our super producer, Max. Uh, Max, you were a known curling enthusiast, so I imagine that would be your Olympic sport of choice were you to compete. I'm going to say that if I were competing in the Olympics, I would go with breaking, because back in the day, I was actually pretty good at it. Noel, what about you if you were competing in an uh, Olympic sport? Uh, Finger skateboarding. Nice, nice. Yeah, the skateboarding of kings. (laughs) <laughs> so uh let's see who else thanks to thanks to you sir thanks to eve's jeff coat thanks to oh alex williams who composed this olympic medal worthy track indeed christopher osiotis here in spirit the quizster all the above everyone our olympic committee our rogues gallery there it is uh, of ridiculous historians we'll see you next time folks For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. 
If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club.